God our Father and from our Lord Jesus, dear friends. Part of God's Word that we'll consider this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Since it is a record of our Savior's words, I invite you to please stand for our reading. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Since God, in His wisdom and grace, decided to use human beings rather than angels as His primary messengers in this world, then gospel ministry would have to be staffed by sinners. In our scripture readings today, we heard about a few of them. Moses was perhaps the greatest of God's Old Testament prophets and leaders, but he had a past. Do you remember what Moses had done? After growing up in the luxurious palace of the Egyptian pharaoh, he began to take notice of the suffering that his own people, the Israelites, were enduring at the hands of the Egyptians. One day he witnessed an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And so Moses took matters into his own hands. He killed that Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. But what he had done became known. And as a result, the Pharaoh wanted to kill him, and his own people wanted nothing at all to do with him. And so Moses had to flee to the land of Midian with a guilty conscience, and he lived there for many years as kind of an exiled murderer. Other than Jesus himself, The Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest missionary of the New Testament. But of course, he also had a past. He shared it with us in our reading from Timothy today. He said, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Paul was someone who had spoken against the one true God and against his son Jesus. Paul was someone who had worked to imprison and even help put to death those who were believers in Jesus. Paul was somebody whose hate-filled heart spilled over into violent actions in his life. He calls himself the worst of sinners. And I'm sure that his time as Saul the persecutor weighed very heavy on him throughout the course of his gospel ministry. Then there was Matthew, 
who we heard about in our gospel reading today. As a tax collector, he was among the most hated and reviled people in Israel. I mean, besides the stigma of being a collaborator with the heathen Romans and also a traitor to his own people, these tax collectors had a well-deserved reputation of being greedy cheats, taking advantage of the Roman tax system to enrich themselves at the expense of their fellow brothers and sisters in Israel. Tax collectors were often lumped together with prostitutes and sinners in the very same breath. And it doesn't seem, there's no indication that Matthew was somehow above the fray, that he was like the one honest tax collector in Israel. Matthew never forgot what he had been, what he had done. In chapter 10 of his Gospel, when he lists the names of the twelve apostles, he makes sure to add his former occupation behind his own name. He mentions Simon, Andrew, James, John, and the others. And then Matthew, tax collector. There's not a single pastor in the history of this congregation or any congregation that doesn't also have a past. The details may not be spelled out for us all to read as they were for Moses and Paul and Matthew, but God knows them. The individuals do too. And it's not just that they have these sins in their past as if once they begin public ministry or gospel ministry, they put all that behind them and it never troubles them again. Like all of God's people, they have a sinful nature that continues to war against the new spiritual person in them and often gets the upper hand. Moses was no exception there. You might remember that he was prevented from ever entering the promised land of Canaan as discipline because of his own failure to obey God's word. Paul, too even after his conversion, even after his call to be that apostle, he says this about himself, what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. On one occasion, the apostle Paul got into such a sharp disagreement with his ministry partner Barnabas over whether or not to bring John Mark along on their next mission trip, that the two of them ended up going their separate ways. And Matthew? Well, we know he was included among those who Jesus said would desert him on the night of his betrayal and arrest. And we also know that's exactly what happened. Sinners, all of them. Past, present. I remember Pastor Hankey, before he retired, talking to a group of God's people at one of our new member orientations. And he just told them flat out, you need to know that myself and the other pastors here at Bethany are going to disappoint you and fail you because we're sinners. Of course, all of you know how true that is. Some better than others. 
Gospel ministry is staffed by sinners. Sinners who have a past trailing behind them and a present still marked by failures. But here's the thing. What Moses and Paul and Matthew and all the rest may have a difficult time ever forgetting, God says He does. He makes this wonderful promise to His people. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So much so that God even calls these same sinners into ministry. We heard Moses' call a little earlier today. He rightly took off his shoes and hid his face in the presence of the Holy God. We understand the excuses that he offered as to why he wasn't the right man for the job. Who is? But God said to him, Go. I'm sending you. Get your shoes on, Moses. Put your chin up. There's work to be done. And when God calls, who can argue with that? Certainly not the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, God knocked him to the ground and blinded him with the brilliance of Jesus' glory. And then to this violent, persecuting chief of sinners, God said the very same thing. Go. I am sending you, you, Saul, the persecutor, to turn others from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified through faith in Jesus. Matthew's call into ministry is maybe just as surprising. You can probably imagine how many people walked by his little tax collector's booth and didn't even look in his direction. Or how many walked by and shot him the daggers with their eyes, considering him a cheat and a traitor. Or how many people, when they walked by, took the opportunity to hurl down insults and condemnation on Matthew. I'm sure he had heard it all and been called it all. But when Jesus passed by, There's none of that. Only an invitation, a command, a call to ministry. Jesus simply said, follow me, Matthew. And Matthew immediately did. Jesus treated this tax collector no differently than those fishermen, Peter, James, and John, that he had called previously along the shores of the Sea of Galilee because they were no different. Matthew's sins may have been a little bit more public, but they were no more damning. Jesus called them just the same. Follow me. For the pastors who have served you in the past and those who serve you presently, their call into public ministry may not have been as dramatic as it was for Moses or Paul or even Matthew. But it's every bit as surprising and humbling to think that God, through His people, would call me, preach His Word, and administer the sacraments here, serve and to lead, to guide and to teach, to confront and encourage, to call to repentance and to announce God's 
amazing grace to people. How is that possible? Every single gospel minister ought to take off his shoes and hide his face when the call comes. Every single gospel minister can come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses why he is not the right person for the job. And yet the God who calls sinners into ministry changes everything with His mercy and grace. That's the only explanation for why people like Moses and Paul, Matthew, myself, and the others could ever serve in ministry. It's because of words like this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Gospel ministers have to understand, first of all, that these words apply to them. We are the sick who needed and still need a doctor. That there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we have to offer, no sacrifice that we could make, not even a lifetime of ministry in God's kingdom that could ever bring us the healing that we need. It's only God's mercy. Only the great physician can bring that healing. It's only Jesus' sacrifice that can atone for our sin and change our status before God. From sick to healthy. From sinner to righteous. And make us fit for service in His kingdom. And you know, what's true for every gospel minister is also true for every single one of God's people. And so maybe that gives us a little bit of insight into God's decision to use sinful human beings rather than holy angels to serve in gospel ministry. Who better to share God's mercy and grace than one who has received it himself? Who better to understand the sinful human heart than one who has that same kind of heart beating in his own chest? Who better to preach God's law without self-righteous condemnation or loveless judgment than someone who has felt the sting of that law and been exposed by its bright light? And who better to share the good news, the Gospel in all its beauty and freedom with those who desperately need it than someone who knows that without that gospel, he is nothing and he has nothing. You know, Matthew seemed to pick up on this right away. He understood that it was no accident that God had called him a sinner into this ministry. He understood that what Jesus had done for him was exactly what Jesus wanted him to share with others. Maybe you can kind of imagine Matthew's train of thought after that call. Jesus has come to save sinners. He demonstrated that by calling me, a tax collector, into public ministry. Well, I know lots of sinners. I've been working with them for years. So what can I do to connect them up with Jesus also? And so Matthew threw a party with Jesus as the guest of honor. 
That's really the simple job of every gospel minister. Not throwing parties, not really, but looking for ways to connect sinners to their Savior Jesus. We can't host the sort of dinner party that Matthew did with Jesus there as the guest of honor, but we can certainly invite people to God's house. We can share with them the bread of life in our worship services, in our Bible studies, and through our personal visits. We can seek to show them Jesus' love by looking for ways to serve them in whatever ways that we can. We remember what the goal is. To show sinners Jesus' love for them. Remembering always that it's about Him and not about us. And Matthew got that as well. You know, other than his former occupation, we really know very little about Matthew. What he did before his call into ministry and even what he did after his call into ministry, we know almost nothing. And yet God used Matthew to pen one of the four Gospels. 28 chapters focused entirely not on himself, but on Jesus, the Savior. From the virgin birth to the blood-stained cross, the glorious resurrection and the great commission, Matthew fulfilled his purpose. He carried out that call of connecting countless other sinners just like himself to their Savior, Jesus. that's gospel ministry. However, gospel ministry is not just about what pastors or other called workers do. I mean, what would ever get done? How much could really be accomplished by so few? See, the story of every gospel minister, a sinner called by God to serve other sinners, that's the story of every child of God. That's your story. We've all been called into this ministry. And Matthew gives us a pretty simple model to follow in order to carry it out. Who has God surrounded you with in your life? Who do you know that needs to be connected or reconnected with Jesus? And what can you do to help make that happen? Like Matthew, can you invite them to your home Show them your love and seek ways to share Jesus' love with them. Invite them to this house. Offer to pick them up. Promise to meet them at the door and walk in with them. I mean, the truth is, you know what the people around you need. Because it's the same thing that you needed and continue to need. And you also know what the people around you are going to find in Jesus. Because it's the same thing you found and continue to find. His desire for mercy, not sacrifice. A doctor for all the sick. The gift of righteousness for every sinner. A place in God's family. A purpose in life. And an eternal home in heaven. Through this gift, of gospel ministry, God shares His very best gifts, both with those who serve in ministry and also with those who are served by it. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding 
Guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.